This is Chris Thrasher-Wheatley. He's my friend. He also serves as the chairman of our governing board here at Neighborhood Church. And um, there's a lot of things that I love about Chris. He oversees like 14 campuses of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship here in the Southern Oregon, Northern California yep. region, or Cal. Area. area That's area. right. Yeah. Not a region. Not a <laughs> Sorry, Chris's boss who's watching, yeah, I'm the sure. regional director would be... A yeah, <laughs> he's kind of ticked off right now. No, he's not. He's very happy. But um, so he works with students. He works with staff, does leadership development. But he also has a passion for discerning God's voice, for hearing God, especially in groups, in community, because sometimes we make Christianity an individual sport where it's supposed to be a team sport all the time. And there's something really powerful about gathering, something very powerful about listening together and discerning God's voice. And so um, I've asked Chris uh, to share this morning, and um, he's going to talk specifically about discernment. And we are in this series about hearing God's voice, and this is right on time. Yep. So Chris, good. thanks bud. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Good to be in the Lord's house this morning with you all. And I'm already glad that uh, you've introduced yourself to your neighbor because there will be a point where you will talk to your neighbor about halfway through. So, good. I figure if it's, if it's hard to talk to the neighbor in the pew next to you, it's going to be even harder to cross the street to talk to your neighbor. So let's just kind of try it on here. That'll feel good. Um, I also, I'm still kind of reeling from the prayer chapel experience this morning. I was the one crying that Andrew referenced, so getting my bearings back. But um, we are talking about discernment this morning, and discernment being what do we do as God actually starts to speak into our life, and there's a lot, there's a lot on discernment, and even um, for my sabbatical at university this past year, uh, I sat in discernment, and this is like one one small slice of a lot of the stuff that I'm still chewing on and putting together. So I'm very excited uh, for uh, the ability to talk on it this morning. And um, so let's get going. We are, um, we're going to be looking at Mark 8 this morning. And that means that we're halfway through the gospel of Mark, halfway through Mark's uh, biography of Jesus's life, right in the middle. And Jesus has already done hundreds of miracles up to this point. Some Mark tells us about kind of explicitly, gives us details. A lot of them, he's like, Jesus just stayed up all night, you know, healing people. He pulled an all-nighter, healing. So hundreds of miracles at this point. And right before the passage that we're going to read this morning, Jesus has just fed 4,000 men. And then if you add the women and children on top of that, thousands and thousands of people. He's just fed them. And it's a miracle because he only had seven loaves and a couple fish. And somehow he fed the masses. That happens right before our passage. We pick it up in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. 
They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. (laughs) Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? There we go. All right. Technology. Uh, All right. So the Pharisees show up on the scene. It's right after the feeding of the 4,000. And it tells us that they are there to test him. They ask him for a sign from heaven. It's a little confusing. Like, what is a sign? Are they asking him to, like, call fire down from heaven? Are they looking for him to somehow order the natural world? Two chapters previous, he like stops a storm and all of a sudden everything's still. Maybe they're looking for that kind of sign. Um, Most likely they're looking for a miracle from him. They want him to do a miracle, a trick in front of them. But how many miracles have these Pharisees, these religious leaders witnessed up to this point? We're already halfway through the story. Hundreds of miracles that Jesus have done. What would one more sign or miracle do for them? We're told that Jesus sighs deeply. It's literally the only time in the entire New Testament that this word shows up. It's a conjunction. And the literal meaning is to draw groans from deep in the bowels of your chest. That's what this means. He is just like, oh, Man, these guys. And he tells them, he says, no sign will be given to you. I'm not doing it. He asks, why does this generation ask for a sign? I'm reading this and I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure every generation has asked for a sign from God. I don't know about you. I've asked for a sign from God. But Jesus says, why does this generation ask for a sign? Have you ever had a friend, a relative, maybe it's you, that you're like, ah, if only God would do blank. If only God did blank, then I would believe. If only, what if God parted the clouds and spoke to me? Then that would fix what I'm going through. That would change everything. The problem is that the Pharisees, and maybe you and I, the Pharisees are sitting on hundreds of moments already where Jesus has acted and given them a sign. What if these are unrecognized miracles that are either ignored, excused, or explained away? It's kind of a classic parent moment that Jesus is having with them. He's like, hey, what did you do with the ones I already gave you? Let's start there, and then I'll give you more snack, okay? 
(laughs) You've already got so many that you're just kind of sitting on. Um, I was recently reflecting on um, my dad. My dad was an avid runner uh, when he, right before he met my mom, he was running every day, eight miles a day, boom, 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 boom. And um, he'd do marathons. And even into my early childhood, he would run um, daily. And uh, we lived in Southern California. He'd run through all the neighborhoods and, you know, through parking lots and stuff. My dad was also a banker. And he was kind of obsessed with penny pinching like, and money. And so uh, to the point where, like, every time we were out, he would, like, find coins on the ground. Find a penny, pick it up. Find a nickel, pick it up. Um, and, uh, it was a little obsessive because, um, I can even remember like one time being in an intersection and there was a dime and my dad made me get out of the car and get it. (laughs) And so the obsession with, with picking up coins and his running kind of met perfectly where he'd go out on runs and he'd be running along and he'd pick up coins. In fact, he'd choose his routes. He would run through drive-thrus. Because people, dro- people drop coin on the ground. Grab the coins, you know? And he would find other stuff. Like one time he found one of his prized possessions from running a giant screwdriver, like this big. Massive. I'm like, I'm pretty sure someone was like breaking into cars with that if we found it in a parking lot. But, um, and and the, the largest denomination he ever found was a $50 bill. $50 bill. Um... But the vast majority was pennies and nickels and dimes. The vast majority. Like one time he found a $50 bill. And um, years later I was talking with him. He was a banker. He kept track of stuff. I asked him, how much did you pick up when you were running all those years? And he said, it was almost $3,000. Yeah, who's laughing now? And as I was reflecting this week on that, I'm like, what if I, like, what if he just was like, I'm only picking up $10 bills and up. I'm not, I'm not, doing, I'm not doing small change or just, I'm just picking up bills. I'm not doing change, you know? Uh, how much would he have ended up with? A <laughs> $50 bill. Yeah, that's, he would end up with 50 bucks. Um, and I felt like the Lord told me, he used this as a parable. He's like, hey, I feel like you want $50 miracles, but all the time you leave smaller miracles on the ground. What if you picked up every miracle, the small ones and the big ones? How rich in faith would you be? Back to the Pharisees. It's hard to know their hearts here. I, I don't even if, know if they're genuinely looking for a miracle, but they're asking for $50 ones, and they've been leaving everything else on the ground. The scene shifts, and Jesus and the disciples, they get into the boat, um, and they take off for the other side, and uh, we're told the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Classic. It would have been really common for rabbis to actually assign different tasks to their disciples. And one of them would have been, hey, you're in charge of the food. Make sure you bring it, you know, so we eat as we go along. 
And um, they're actually headed to a place that's pretty kind of lonely and sparse, so they would have needed food where they're going. Um, but Jesus' response is like, watch out for the yeast of Herod and the Pharisees. A little bit of a weird response to their not having bread. He uses yeast, something that's spreading, but more to the point is that up, you know, in the Gospel of Mark, the two competing powers that Jesus keeps running into, the religious power, that of the Pharisees, and then um, you have the political power, that of Herod. And he's just being like, hey, keep your eyes on the prize. Don't get distracted by all these people. We just interacted with the Pharisees. They're not getting it right now. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. And he says, why are you talking about having no bread? I love this moment. It's kind of like, it um, feels like the 12 Stooges. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know why we don't, <laughs> he forgot the bread. And they're trying to figure it out. And it's really, it's the second why question that Jesus asked in our passage. The first one was to the Pharisees, why is this generation asking for a sign? This one, why are you talking about having no bread? Um, for any of us that have gone through relationship counseling um, with like an MFT, you know not to ask why questions. It implies fault. It's like some, someone messed up here when you ask a why question. And in this case, there is fault. But it's not just because the disciples have forgotten bread. There's a deeper thing that they've missed here. And he's, I think he's upset about it. Why are, you, why are you asking? Why are you talking about the bread? And Jesus launches into a series of questions. He says, do you, do you see but not understand? Are your hearts hard? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? Then he explains the miracles. He's like, hey, remember five loaves, 5,000 leftovers? You remember that? We had seven loaves. We had 4,000. Do you remember that? How many leftovers? He does like kind of the math in front of them. And then he says, hey, do you still not understand? Probably like, yeah, we don't. <laughs> you got to help us here, Jesus. Go ahead and turn to the person next to you. What aren't they understanding right now? This is a guess. We're guessing. Educated guess. Hypothesis. On the live stream, you can go ahead and put stuff in the chat if you want. That'd be cool while we're talking here to our neighbor. All right, we're going to bring it back. 
I'm not going to field any answers. We'll, we'll, um, you'll get to high-five your neighbor if you're right later. Uh, so let's zoom in on these questions. He's like, do you have eyes to see, but you're not really getting it? Where are your ears at? Um, Jesus is actually quoting Isaiah 6 here. It's a famous section of the Old Testament where Isaiah ends up in the throne room before God. He's completely undone. You might remember the woe to me. He just is like, what am I doing here? Completely aware of his sin. God takes a coal, you know, and has his, has his lips touched. And all of a sudden, he purifies Isaiah. And then Isaiah um, responds to the Lord's question, who will I send? Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. And then right after that, God gives him his very first message, and it's, it's these questions. It's these questions. He says that his people are always hearing but never understanding. That the Israelites, God's people, are always seeing, but they're never perceiving. They have a hardness of heart problem. There's callousness on their heart. In fact, many theologians, including actually a friend of mine that's, um, that just finished her master's in Scotland, have studied this problem. It's called obduracy, hardness of heart. And a lot of people think this is one of the main problems that runs all through Scripture with God's people, and even one of the main things Jesus is trying to address in all the Gospels. What do I do with a stiff-necked, hard-hearted people? How do I get them to get it? They're spiritually blind. They're soulfully deaf. They're just missing all the stuff I'm doing around them and for them. In our passage, do we see any people that are hearing but not getting it? Yeah, yeah, the Pharisees, the disciples. 12 years ago, um, I was actually studying this section of Mark with students from Chico State um, on our spring break trip, and we came across a connection in this passage. This is actually the second time in Mark that Jesus quotes Isaiah 6. Uses the same questions, second time. The first time actually happens four chapters earlier. So in Mark 4, he tells a story of a farmer that goes out and throws seed. Anyone know this story? Have you heard it before? So he goes out, this farmer, and throws seed. Some seed lands on a path, a hard path. Kind of land sits on top, birds come and eat it and, and take off. Seed, nothing ever comes of that seed. Some seed falls into some rocky soil. It springs up really quickly, but its roots are shallow. And because of that, when the sun starts to bake down on it, which we know about here in Chico, that thing does not make it. That plant does not end up producing anything. Still a third soil, the farmer throws seed. It hits in this part of the, of the property, and there's, there's thorns. So the, the seed actually grows, and it starts growing up, but the thorns choke it out, and it, and it doesn't end up really living because of that. And then this fourth soil, good soil, when the farmer throws the seed on that soil, it lands and it goes in. The soil accepts it, it germinates, and it actually produces. And we're told by Jesus that it grows up to the point where it produces 30, 60, 100 fold. So one seed actually becomes 30, 60, 100 seeds. Beautiful. So he tells this story to a crowd that's sitting there by the sea, and they're like, okay. And then his disciples approach him. 
So right after the story, it says, when he was alone, the 12, his disciples, and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, do you understand this parable? How then will you understand any, any, understand any parable? And then he explains it. He says, uh, the rocky path, that is hard-heartedness. The, the message that I'm sending out, that I'm giving, it actually it hits, it bounces off. The birds eat it. Satan just swoops it up. It doesn't produce anything. The rocky soil, um, it, originally the message is received with joy. It sprouts right up. But the rockiness in that, in that soil, in that heart, it actually makes it so that it can't really grow. The, the thorny soil is the cares of the world, getting all caught up in the money or the prestige. And that wraps up this message and kills it. It can't grow. It, it can't do the intended work that I, that I have for it. But good soil, that's a good heart. And when my message lands there, it actually is given the opportunity to grow. And then it doesn't just grow. It, it multiplies to the point where it impacts that's the message from this parable. We're told it's about the heart level. And he's using Isaiah 6 language again. Everyone sees the hard part is perceiving. Everyone heard him tell the story, but only a few people actually got it. If you have a soft heart, you pursue Jesus and ask him, just like the disciples did. See, they came and they asked him about it. We're told that the secret of the kingdom is theirs. They can perceive and understand. They are good soil. The message can germinate. It will grow into deep kingdom understanding and then be multiplied out of their lives. But then there's those on the outside. Jesus says everything is said in parables to them. Everyone hears Jesus saying this parable, but the outsiders, it just remains a story for them. They go home and they're not sure. They're ever hearing, but they don't get it. They walk away unchanged. Have you ever been in a group where something is taught or an experience happens and most of the people are like, they're either confused or are like bored, like, when is this over? I see you guys. Um, and, uh, but then like a small group, maybe just one or two people, they're literally like, what? I do you guys get this? Do you even, what, do you, oh my gosh, this changes everything. And I've been, I've been in both, I've been in both shoes, right? But it's, sometimes I'm like looking at the person, I'm like, what, are they, what did they get, you know? Like, what, do you, what, do you, what, what, what clicked for you? What, what was your aha moment? Tell me. I'm, I'm not there. I'm trying to understand. I think a lot of times that's how the kingdom is. It lands and it finds good soil and it just grows. And uh, when you're in a community, when people all of a sudden, when something starts to grow, ask for that multiplication, can I get some of the 30? <laughs> Pay that forward. I want to know. 
So back to our original passage, Jesus is asking these Isaiah 6 questions, parable language, as if the disciples aren't getting a parable he's telling, right? And he's asking, are you guys getting it? Do you not understand? Here's the trick, though. Jesus is talking about a miracle, two miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. It's not a story he told them that they just don't quite get. It's actually a miracle that they all just lived that they don't get. This isn't a spoken parable. This is a lived out parable. And that blew my mind this last year as I sat with it. That Jesus could feed 5,000 people. People see him multiplying food. They eat this food that has just been multiplied and they don't understand it. They just walk away. The only thing they got out of that was a, was a full belly. The disciples could see him multiply food right in front of them. Like, go with me here. He takes, like right before this passage, he takes seven loaves and a couple fish and feeds 4,000 men and then women and children. And they're like right there taking the food from him and passing it out. Like they're watching it happen. They're in the kitchen with him. And then in our passage, they're like, don't get it. Because the feeding of the 4,000 was a parable. It was a miracle, yes, a miracle. He fed lots of people, but it was a parable. It carried so much more importance about the way the kingdom works, and they weren't getting that. They weren't understanding that. If they had understood it, they would have known. When Jesus fed the 5,000, here it is, the Son of God with 5,000 people from the 12 tribes of Israel we are told that they are in the wilderness with no food. Jesus has compassion on them, and he says they are sheep without a shepherd. In that story, we're told, he tells them to sit down on the green grass like sheep because he's a good shepherd. Psalm 23, anyone? Jesus then provides bread in the wilderness for his people. Have we heard that story before? And then there's leftovers 12 baskets, one full basket for every tribe. Yes, Jesus fed the masses, but the parable there is that Jesus is here to provide for his people. And the danger is that we take the food and we miss the kingdom. We can take the miracle, but we can miss the larger kingdom momentum. They become one-offs. Let's talk about the 4,000, the Son of God again, with 4,000 people in the wilderness. But this time he's in the land of Canaan. There's no food, and we're told again, Jesus has compassion. He provides bread in the wilderness, this time to people who have traditionally not been God's people. And we're told that there are leftover baskets, seven of them, and guess what? There are seven tribes of Canaan. What's the parable? Jesus is here to provide for all people. All people. 
Yes, these were about feeding large crowds, these miracles, but they are also living parables about how God provides. I love the point where it says they were talking about how they had no food except for one loaf. Did you guys notice that in our passage? They don't, they don't, they don't have any food except for one loaf. I studied math in college, all right? So I already looked at how five loaves feeds 5,000. That's like one loaf is 1,000, right? Uh, seven loaves fed 4,000. So one loaf is 571 people. They are holding a loaf of bread. They're literally holding the seed for the next miracle. Because Jesus provides for his people. Do they not have food? No, they literally have 500 meals worth right there. But they've missed, they've missed what he's trying to show them through their miracle. They're literally holding the start of a miracle in their hands, a miracle they've witnessed twice. In the kingdom of God, it is not just teachings that need to be understood. It's, I think miracles need to be understood. We're a church that believes God still does miracles. I love that about Neighborhood Church. And when God does a miracle, um, it is always meant to be multiplied 30, 60, 100 fold. It's a seed. And sometimes in our American culture, we can take it like it's just for me. But the way the kingdom works is that it's meant to be multiplied. A miracle is meant to be multiplied out of your life into others. Here's the good news, is it's Palm Sunday, and um, all around the world right now, Christians are celebrating Palm Sunday, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry, and it starts the Holy Week, um, where it culminates with Jesus' death on the cross, his three days in the grave, and his resurrection. One of the beautiful things about that is, that is the biggest miracle. That's not a $50 bill. That's a million-dollar bill, all right? And all of us as Christians, we've taken that miracle in, and we've held that. We've said, find good soil. And in, and in this holy week, uh, Jesus will actually multiply that in us. There are friends that you could invite to church next week. There are neighbors you could bring with you. Because when Jesus gives us a miracle, it's meant to be multiplied. And the disciples, they have some up and down moments, y'all. Uh, just like you, just like me, they have moments where their soil is a little bit thorny or there's some rocks in it. Uh, but by the end, as we start the book of Acts, by the end of the Gospels and into the book of Acts, they have understood these truths. God is trying to multiply things in them. And when God does one thing, it, it spins to another thing. It grows. The disciples actually get it. So the next time Jesus does a miracle in our lives, big or small, it doesn't really matter. Pick it up. Take it in. Hold it. Ask for understanding. Let it germinate in you. 
Ask Jesus to give us eyes to see, ears to hear the fullness of the kingdom. And Lord, may it produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. All right? So I'm going to lead us in a, a prayer space right now. And I'm going to ask the Lord, is there a miracle he's done that, you, that we could hold on to and allow to start to germinate? One that we would pay forward and pray into other people's lives as well, all right? So Lord, thank you for this truth that when you work, Lord, when you do something in our lives, it is actually meant to reveal deeper kingdom truths. That it's actually meant to be paid forward and multiplied. Right now, Lord, is there a thing you've done in our individual lives that you want to remind us of? A way you've moved that we can thank you for, that we can take into good soil, and we can ask you to multiply. So let's just take a moment and listen. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to notice where you have been at work and where you are working. All right, this is our last time. Turn to your neighbor. Is there anything you feel like God brought up? Again, it doesn't have to be the biggest miracle. It could be just a, a thing that God showed you. Oh, he did this for me this week. So just turn real quick and share, and then I'm going to pray a blessing for us. So whatever it is that the Lord has been doing in you, for you, may that be 
part of your invitation to someone in your neighborhood and your influence to say, hey, why don't you come next week with us? We're going to celebrate Easter here and next week's going to be a great week for somebody who maybe doesn't come to church to experience church. Um, And we're committed to the neighborhoods, but we're also committed to the nations and we continue to go after the nations. And so we'll tell you more stories about Gaylord just got back from Dubai and was able to literally talk to people from nations. And the Gibsons, we've just sent them. They're translating the New Testament. They're in Papua New Guinea. Please be praying for them. But we're committed to sharing what God has given us with people here in our neighborhoods as well in the nations. So yeah. that's a good yeah. word. Um, great. And uh, as we close today, I just want, I'm going to invite our prayer people up. If you feel like, ah, you're like, I don't feel like I'm seeing. I don't feel like I'm understanding. If, if you, maybe there's a sense that uh, on a heart level, you're like, it feels thorny or rocky or even hard pathy. Um, if that's you, uh, we don't even charge for prayer here. It's free. It's free prayer. And I had a mentor one time tell me, whenever prayer is free, go get it. So... Um, that's just an encouragement. You know, I, just now I felt like the Lord was reminding me of a moment. This was probably five or six years ago. Um, I was so caught up in like, cause I, I work for a missions organization in varsity. There's a lot of stuff going on organizationally. And I was so caught up in like, where are our numbers at? And what do we have to do to reach here? And like all the human strategy. And I just, and I was getting like, more bitter and frustrated. Then I was on a Zoom call with a bunch of people, and then one of my friends like kind of messaged me on the side and was like, "Hey, let's get on a different one right after this. I want to, you know, let's we could talk about what we just talked about." I was like, "Cool." We get on there, and she goes, "This is an intervention." <laughs> She's like, "What is up with you?" And I was like, and at first I was very angry, did not like being duped into an intervention Zoom call, but then she's just like, "Chris." you're caught up in the wrong stuff. You're getting choked out. And she was right. My, I had lost my joy. And she said, okay, we're going to get off this Zoom call. You're going to get on your face and you're going to pray. So she said, and I did that. I just, I just did that. I got off the Zoom and I got on, my, got on, the, got on the ground. So um, this, what's interesting about this message is not a raw, raw message. And sometimes I think, I don't know about you, I like to show up to church and just be encouraged and then go to Costco. (laughs) That's like a normal Sunday. That's a normal Sunday. Um, But for some of us, I see a lot of you at Costco. Um, but, But for some of us, but for some of us, there may be some face down moment. Like there's some really good carpet down here for facing down on the ground before God. And then for some of us, we need to pull in a friend, someone you talk to right here, or come up to the front. I'm telling you, I got prayer from some of the people that'll be up here this, this morning. They hear so clearly from the Lord. If there's some rocks that need to be removed, let's do it, people. If there's some thorns that need to be like weeded out, come on, let's pray into that, you know? Because it really matters that we experience fullness of life here in the kingdom. It really matters. But not just so that I can experience fullness of life, so that it can be multiplied out. That's, right. That's how the kingdom works, That's right. all right? So I'm gonna pray one last time. I'm gonna invite our, our, uh, our prayer friends up front to pray for anyone that wants it. Jesus, thank you for this word. It's a hard word. It's a challenging word. 
I'm immediately reminded of all the moments that I didn't understand or get it. Um, I don't even know the miracles I missed because I missed them. Um, but you're so gracious and your desire over and over again is to, is to draw us in, Lord, to soften our hearts, to prepare the soil, to till it so that it can receive your message. Lord, we want to be a people here at Neighborhood that receive your words, that receive your miracles, take them in, let them germinate, grow, and produce. We want to be that kind of people. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a good shepherd, you're a good gardener, you're a good savior. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. We will see you next week. Sunday is Easter. It is Easter. See you.